Hello, I'm Amber Athey, The Spectator's Washington editor, and I'm here to encourage you to subscribe to The Spectator's American edition. If you visit spectator.us forward slash subscribe, you can get our print and digital edition for just $7.99 a month. This means you get unlimited access to our amazing website and we'll send you a beautiful 80-page monthly magazine. You'll also have access to our mobile app. Subscribe now at spectator.us forward slash subscribe. You won't regret it. Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a series of discussions about American politics and now the Joe Biden presidency. We will be looking at how a 78-year-old president will change America and we'll be asking if normalcy, which is what he promised to bring, has returned to American politics? The answer, of course, is no. I'm joined today by Madeline Kearns, who is staff writer at National Review, and we're going to be talking about her excellent cover piece in the latest Spectator US edition, which is called Big Dope on the cover, and uh, we subtitled it The Alarming Power of the Cannabis Industry. And Maddie, essentially your thesis, I think, can be summed up in this sentence where you say, a fog of madness, a stinky green cloud is now descending on America. Give us a little bit about your thesis and tell us what you discovered while researching this piece. Sure. So actually, I should, I should note that I, I live in New York and uh, since I've done this piece, I can't help notice this pungent smell everywhere I go and now everywhere I go I want to run up to people and tell them everything I know which is just really alarming and disturbing. Of course I don't do that because that would be socially weird but basically what it is is there's a problem right now in, in America in that there's no serious discussion about the downsides of legalizing marijuana. So I don't really get into the policy aspect but it is fair to say that there's this out of control industry right, which is putting profit before everything else. And unfortunately, there's no politicians holding them to account. Now, it's a really interesting question as to why that is, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But just to summarise some of the effects of marijuana is, uh, you know, a very disturbing suggestive link with psychosis, increase in psychosis. There's various other things that we don't even really understand yet because of the nature of the new products like vaping and um, suppositories and, uh, you know, ingesting and all this kind of stuff. So really, it's something that should alarm people and they should be asking questions and seeking answers. And unfortunately, that's just not really happening in a serious way. Well, you say in the piece that it, it's very hard to establish causal links, but if they've been doing it since the 70s and we've had quite a lot of cannabis smokers, and there does seem to be quite a few studies suggesting there is a link, why are so few people willing to make this link? So it's interesting. If you spend a lot of time speaking to epidemiologists and doctors and scientists generally, you will find that they're very cautious people. They like to say on the one hand, on the other, we can't be sure, we don't know for sure. That's just the way they talk. That's the way they've always talked. And actually, if you take the example of big tobacco, when they started researching the ill effects of big tobacco, they were speaking in the same sorts of ways. In the 1950s, there was the big landmark study in the British Medical Journal about smoking habits of doctors, because back then 85% of doctors were smokers. And they were saying the same things, like we think we've 
we've noticed a you know, causal link here. And at that point, it would really fall on other members of society to kind of put two and two together and get four, since that's not really how scientists and doctors speak. They, they really have to wait until they're absolutely sure. Remembering that the whole project of science is uh, seeking falsification. You're always looking to be wrong. That's the point of a science. That's the complete opposite of being a politician or a journalist, as you know. But the difficulty is, is you have that type of rhetoric, okay, from the science uh, community or profession, rather. But then you have the absolute opposite rhetoric from the gung-ho industry types. And these people are saying, this is marvellous, this is wonderful, best thing since sliced bread, nothing could possibly go wrong. Now, there's lots of cultural reasons as to why the, the louder voice uh, gets heard, but I think we, it, common sense, we could, we could kind of work out why. Well, there is this sort of defensiveness, isn't there? I mean, we've certainly seen it already in reaction to your piece on Twitter. Uh, one, <laughs> yeah. one very cool writer for, I think it was Reason magazine, said she was going to roll a joint out of your piece, which is, which is a very <laughs> cool thing to say. But there is, the, the, I mean, there is one study you mentioned, I think it's a Swedish study, which says that up to 13% of cases of schizophrenia could be attributed to cannabis use. If that's true, and if cannabis is now being legalised and is now being smoked more than cigarette, tobacco cigarettes in America by young people... We're talking about a future mental health epidemic, and that's not an exaggeration to talk about that. Yes, no, that's, that's right. And actually, you've picked the less impressive of the two studies. The second one was a more recent one done in Lancet, Lancet Psychiatry Journal, which across various European sites found that it was as much as 20%, which is really disturbing. Now, there's two things to bear in mind. One is the frequency of cannabis use, and the other is the dosage itself of THC. That's the part that determines uh, toxicity, and or intoxication, rather. But the, the problem is that both of these things have gone up to unprecedented levels simultaneously. So people are now taking marijuana daily, virtually, and they are also taking these really dangerously high new doses. Uh, I, I quote um, a guy who who explains that because it's gone up by a factor of 70, this is like swapping your bottle of Diet Coke for 36 grandy cappuccinos in one day. So this isn't normal doses, you know, we're talking about here. Well, I mean, when we first uh, discussed this piece, we talked about Portland, I think, because, and this comes up in your piece, you mentioned you speak to a police officer in Portland. And it seems to me that a lot of the kids, basically most of them are kids, who are rioting constantly, and Portland has basically been in flames for about a year, <laughs> or at least a, a, a chunk of it has been. They are obviously smoking weed and they're obviously high. And so is there a sort of connection between kind of nihilistic lawlessness and the increasing legalisation of cannabis? So if you, if you speak to a scientist, the, the careful answer they'll give you is, well, we can't be sure that it's any more so than any other type of drug, right? Which, because that's the sensible answer, that's the one I'm going to give you. But I would say that there's something else going on here that's not so much to do with the physical interaction that you have with this drug. I talk about in the piece the, this sort of spiritual dimension. And uh, what I mean by that is that there is a political and spiritual history with cannabis, which is exclusive to cannabis than some other drugs and certainly not things that are, are drugs, but we... we don't think are a problem like alcohol well I mean we think it's a problem but you know like coffee or something there's something about cannabis if you, this goes back to like the Vietnam War protest it was associated as a symbol of, of a counterculture then of course there's the actual religious element that the people incorporate this into a kind of 
existential view of, of life. This is very old, this philosophy, yeah, to be clear. But now you have things, I was looking this up just before, um, but before the podcast, and you actually have like the church of cannabis in Florida, like the church of cannabis in all these Indiana, all these different places. I might be getting those names slightly wrong, but actually it's like church and cannabis in the same name. And uh, you mentioned, I think the kind of, um, or maybe you didn't mention it, but there's a kind of wake and bake ritual in the morning. You get up, you do your yoga, you smoke your, your weed. All of this speaks to something broader going on in society there's a crisis of meaning and people are going to this drug that just to be clear I don't think high people are necessarily particularly antisocial on weed but drug damaged people are I, I would I would say and I, I'm sure the research would back me up are more likely to be antisocial so if you're if you're incurring sort of psychological profound psychological damage over drug abuse over a long period of time then that can manifest itself in all sorts of really horrible ways well i suppose it's easier to feel uh, spiritual if you're high right mm-hmm. i mean you know a, a, a normal old-fashioned religion will not give you that sense of, of spiritual change that getting high can give you so that might be why people worship cannabis in the way that they do huxley wrote about this a lot he talked about looking for sort of holidays from reality. And I think one of, one of the things that we, didn't really, we haven't really talked about yet, and I didn't really go into in the piece, except maybe by indirect implication, is that right now, people are so bored. They're so bored, they're so tired, they're so, life is so monotonous and draining. And here's this thing that makes you feel good. It, it, it targets the dopamine reward center in the brain, makes you feel good. And not only does it make you feel good, but there's all this literature out there that suggests that it's, it's more than that. You know, that there's this, this god of a plant. One of the users, I quote, in the piece describes it. But another factor, I suppose, would be lockdown, which uh, we, we did a piece a few weeks ago from uh, psychiatrists in London reporting quite large increases in students who have having major, major mental health breakdowns because they've been effectively locked up in their flats, smoking quite serious skunk, quite serious amounts of skunk, and having psychotic episodes, which is what happens if enough people lock themselves inside and do nothing but smoke skunk. So, I mean, do you think that lockdown could speed up, accelerate this process of uh, maddenment that you described? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's certainly on the sort of individual psychological level in the way you describe, but then I think also the, the business incentives here in America become stronger given that there's this kind of crisis going on. I mean, if, I think I mentioned in the piece that during the Great Depression, when big tobacco started to sort of raise its ugly head, that the tobacco companies actually bailed out the American Medical Association, right? So there was, people were desperate for money, just not just meaning, there was desperate for money. So you have this two-pronged problem. So I, th- I think it is probably going to continue to get really out of hand. This is one of those, those pieces you write where you go, I really hope I'm wrong, you know. And uh, I, I do, you know, I do really hope I'm wrong, but I fear that I'm not actually... Well, it connects to another crisis in America, which is the opioid crisis, which a lot of people have written a lot about. And indeed, in the same edition, Mary Eberstadt touches on it in in her piece. And this is another major health crisis in America, which is caused by legal consumptions of drugs, um, in theory, although it connects to illegal consumption of drugs. Does that also speak to uh, a spiritual problem? Or is it something economic that something's lacking in people's lives? Uh, meaning is lacking in people's lives in a, both an economic and a spiritual sense. 
Yeah, I think so. The the economic question is is easier to to answer in the sense that like Americans of all political persuasions are prone. Uh, shouldn't generalize too wildly here, but are prone to sort of unscrupulous enthusiasm for making money, right? Uh, which can be a, a good thing, you know. Get some healthy. They love the green stuff. <laughs> they love the green stuff. Yeah, and we have a a, a gold rush or or a green rush in this case, and it's actually you know it's it's really disturbing because we keep seeing the same thing happen again and again and again. So first half of the twentieth century, we have big tobacco, causes huge problems. It takes ages for the Food and Drug Administration to actually get involved and start regulating it in a meaningful way. I think they actually only started doing that in two thousand nine. 2009, okay? Think how many people have been making poorly informed choices up to that point. And then Big Pharma, as you, as you talk about with the, with the opioid crisis, does the same thing. I mean, this one was even harder to understand because you had direct involvement from the medical profession in terms of promotion and prescription of OxyContin. And not just that, you, you now have the Sackler family name, which they had Purdue Pharma, obviously, on various medical schools because they funded all this they fund from the from the millions or billions rather made from exploiting poor vulnerable people drug addicted people they're then you know putting it back into the medical schools so they, there's this really perverse setup and why should big dope be any different well, this just keeps happening again and again and again one of the problems i talk about in the piece is regulatory capture which uh is uh, I got that idea from Jonathan Culkins, who's written a lot about this. And this is where various people in the industry have influence that in any sane, <laughs> ordered society, you would not be allowed to have this conflict, glaring conflict of interest, so that they're able to dictate how an industry is regulated. And the example I give is Oregon, which just sounds like a total cowboy show people rocking up who are farmers, who are growers, dictating the rules. Uh, so. Th- why is America like that? Well, it's a, that's probably a question that would take too long to answer and, and I probably would need to do even more research, but it's it's certainly, from, as, from an outside point of view, you can see all these things going wrong. What you're saying in the piece and just now is that, that there's a lobbying gets much stronger in America much quicker than perhaps it does in other European countries. Yeah, I mean, and if you speak to, which I which I did, if you speak to psychiatrists psychologists in the UK there's just it's just night and day the the difference they're like are these people insane like what are they talking about I I quote a Scottish psychiatrist who has I mean you should hear some of his stories about what happens to people when they get really 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 enthrall of drugs Uh, and he's talking about this thing he's seen over the course of 30 years and of his career he's seen the same thing which is a young otherwise perfectly decent, civilised young man, typically young man, smoking loads of loads of dope, becoming really alienated and ostracised from his family, from his community. Performance starts to drop and then he starts to have psychotic episodes which are really devastating for everybody for everybody around him and very difficult to recover from that. Well, one thing America does do is have puritanical reactions against such things, such as prohibition in the 1920s. Do you think this is the sort of thing that might happen in America again, where you suddenly have a violent reaction against increasing cannabis use? Yeah, so I'm glad you brought this up. One of the reasons that we are in this mess, I think, is because of what was the opposite excess in the... uh, in the 80s and so on with the, with the war on drugs. 
So as you, you know, I, I write for, for National Review and I was recently in our office and I um, pulled off the shelf, the arch- or I archives, it was the 1985 issue of National Review and there was a column there from William F. Buckley Jr., who's the editor of the magazine at the time, and he's saying, we need to stop roughing up these minority communities, we need to stop doing all these arrests and, and, and all the rest of it because it's, it's counterproductive, it doesn't work. And, and that's all perfectly true. The problem is, is the, co- the conversation is no, should no longer really be about that because that hasn't been happening for decades. I mean, that's not been happening in my lifetime. I was born a decade after that column was written. And it's bizarre to me that we're still talking about the war on drugs, given that marijuana has not been a law enforcement priority from the Department of Justice, even though it is federally illegal, it has not been a law enforcement priority for at least 20 years. Talk to cops, as I've done in in Oregon and, and elsewhere, and they'll say the same thing. It's like a parking ticket. And actually, there is this, again, there is this middle road here. There is a way, and I think this this maybe does have to be worked out state by state, you know, there's a way of decriminalizing possessions so that you don't waste time like arresting people. Give them civil sanctions if you think that's necessary without encouraging this just unscrupulous encouragement of this massive industry. But for some reason, and uh, this uh, hardly the first per- person to point this out, but you know, for some reason in America, they just like to do everything <laughs> really extreme. Well, I suppose it's no longer the war on drugs as in the war against drugs. It's the war on drugs as in quite a lot of people involved in the war are on drugs. Yes, that's that's a very good point. On that, Maddie, I think we'll end it. But thank you very much for doing such an excellent piece. And I hope National Review will let you do more for us. 